Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Hello, today I have um, a a fun new friend. I know his family quite well, but I don't know you, Dale. And so Dale Mastin, um, you have been going through quite a big challenge in your life, a uh, health challenge. And we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about some other things. But Dale, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? Um, maybe about your family and what you do. And then we'll get into the legacy fun stuff. Okay. So uh, I'm married to my sweet wife, Jill. We've been married for 35 years. Ooh. We live here in Cambria, California on the coast. Uh, we moved here in 2005 from Portland, Oregon, where we had lived together. Uh, I mean, it, it, we had gotten married in the late 80s and lived for 20 years. Wow. I think we would have left Portland. We were pretty rooted there. My wife was uh, working as a director of a preschool, and I was working as a designer, and we had a house and et cetera. But then my wife, my mom developed dementia. So, and couldn't live alone anymore. And rather than moving her up to Portland, we moved here to California so we could care for her and be close to all my siblings. Did she live in your house or just nearby? No, she lived in our house for the last eight years of our life. It was uh, a massive blessing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I... I'm just so thankful for that time that we had with her in the later years of her life. Um, You know, she, it was stressful. Uh, It it was very stressful. Um, But uh, many memorable times with her, I actually would spend time with her every day at the local bakery. We would drive Mm -hmm. down every single morning and uh, we would sing songs along the way. And she she had enough cognizance to remember songs. She always knew me in the moment. She wouldn't remember that we had muffins at the bakery when we were leaving. But (laughs) but she was lucid enough to be very much in the moment. And it was it was a great pleasure to care for her. And my wife and I tag teamed uh, in caring for my mom. So Mm -hmm. and so then after my mom passed away. We we had become rooted here in Cambria, and so we stayed, and we're uh, now happy here. I want to ask you a question about that, because um, not every son would invite their mother going through dementia to live with them and call it a blessing. And I, I hear you say, you know, there were challenges, because of course there were challenges, and there, um, and that you tag team, and that your wife was supportive. I mean, there could have been all sorts of different scenarios where the wife or the husband resented it, or you never got enough alone time, or you didn't really want to clean up after your mom, or she drove you crazy because she repeated herself so much, even though I knew her when she was cognitive. I can't remember her name though. What was her name? Irma. Irma. Yeah. I knew when we were first married, because we were married 35 years as well. 
Uh, and I knew your sister-in-law, Ben Irma, was in our lives as well. Yeah. So I didn't know her when she started to fail. And eight years is a long time. So what do you think would be um, something that you can encourage someone else who's in that situation or is heading towards that situation? What advice or counsel or something that you could leave with our listeners with that situation? Well, it's a little hard because to answer that question because there are so many variables uh, mm. dealing with a person who has dementia. My father also had dementia, and he was um, n very much not himself in that state. He was combative, and oh. he'd take a swing at you, Yikes. and he also wasn't in the moment. You know, it was so much easier with my mom because she was in the moment, and um, but to answer your question... Um, I mean, it's really helpful if you have a supportive partner, mm -hmm. which, I mean, some people, you know, have no control over that. I just want to give praise to my wife, though, because she was so supportive and just laid down her life for my mom. And I am so grateful for that. And uh, um, I guess, you know, as much as possible, have a place to really vent i suppose and give mm. people the opportunity to support you i mean even just listening to you share how you're having a difficult time there's tremendous value in that that's that's therapeutic to just be able to vent honestly saying i love my mom but she is driving you know the situation's driving me crazy <laughs> and i'm at my wits end yeah and you know, I know you can't do anything for me. I mean, they could pray for you if they were a believer, but I just appreciate being able to be honest with you. And um, there you go. Well, and I, I'm guessing you're an extrovert and the way that we process, the way I process is out loud, which can really scare my husband because he, he thinks that everything I'm saying is actually going to happen, but <laughs> I'm just processing and yeah. there is great relief in yeah. that emotional relief in the process. And then you'll come right back around and you'll be a little more sane as a result. So praise the Lord yeah. for that. And I know one thing we are going to be talking about today is your passion for community. And that's a big passion for mine, for me as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual journey. When did you meet the Lord and what are some of the challenges and bumps along the way? Okay. So I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I was a kid uh in you know elementary school years uh, i don't remember the exact date i was passionate for christ as a young person i can remember in sixth grade just spending time alone in my room reading the bible and finding wow. verses in the bible and i was also passionate about sharing christ with my friends i happened to acquire like a big box of cracks from my church. We were part of a Baptist church and uh, they gave me the whole box and I passed it out at school. Wow. And, um, and then um, actually I, uh, I was a pretty um, emotionally wired kid, a, uh, a little intense. I uh, had the tendency to obsess over um things probably a bit too much and so there was a period i went to a hume lake christian camps and at, oh, yeah. at the camp i was i was away from my parents 
and felt a little vulnerable. And I also, so that was, you know, kind of a stress on me. Uh, but at the same time, I started doubting my salvation mm -hmm. and I just obsessed over, you know, that uh, and until not just that week at camp, but even coming home and it, you know, it was months of just concern. And so to get relief, I sort of just turned my focus away from the Lord and towards you know, sports and girls and friendships and uh and and I think I was I was still involved at church and I would I would still um I, I just I still was following the Lord but less passionately uh and and that um remained until my uh senior year of high school when I moved to, I moved from the East Bay area to San Luis Obispo. And when I moved to San Luis Obispo, it was in between my junior year and senior year of high school. That's a hard and time to move. What's that? That's a hard time to move. It actually wasn't hard for me. It oh. was, it was a massive blessing in my life. Wow. Uh, I had been a, a skateboarder and that evolved into surfing and I was hitching rides to Santa Cruz and I was very passionate about surfing. Wow. And I was totally bummed that I was an inlander, you know, in the mm -hmm. East Bay. And mm -hmm. I was just looking for ways to get on the coast. My brother lived at, in San Luis Obispo. I asked my parents if I could, if he could be my legal guardian, my senior year of high school. They wow. said, yes. So I, and I rolled into town. I was two weeks into town. I got a job at the surf shop. Uh, I couldn't believe that, that yeah. circuits, I got involved at Grace Church, which was, you know, and I met other kids who were surfers. Passionate. They were passionate for the <laughs> Lord. I mean, some oh, of the great. kids were nominal, yeah. but uh, many were passionate. And that started stirring in me. I had everything I dreamed of, you know, just the surf shop. I kind of had entered my element of just attracting girls and I was stoked on that and that was <laughs> a major preoccupation uh, mm -hmm. and lots going for me, but I, the longing for that connection with the Lord was stirring again. Praise and so God. That's when I uh, rededicated my life to Christ. I got very involved at Grace. I taught junior high Sunday school. I led the college hour. Uh, there were major influences, both peers and leaders uh, that, uh, spoken to my life at that time. It was can you can, can you um, remember one particular leader or the impact they had? Absolutely, on you? yeah. So Corey Melia and his wife Dorothy Melia. Mm -hmm. uh, they Corey was a youth pastor, and um, he was an awesome influence. And he's he's a lifelong friend. Uh, <laughs> he's a, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I need to apologize. He's a huge inspiration in my life. Just watching how he's um, such a deep encourager and uh, in people's lives. And then another person is Ed Bulkley, who oh, yeah. was an old man, yeah. you know, but uh, so you wouldn't think of, you know, a young college kid being interested in hanging out <laughs> with an old man, 
but he was so passionate for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And he was a straight talker, you know, he was, if you're getting together with him, you're memorizing scripture yeah. and, you know, he's not going to pull any punches with you. And I was really attracted. And so were a lot of other young people, uh, my age, they were just to his passion mm -hmm. and to his sober mindedness. I loved it. So he was a huge influence. And then Leon Maxudian, who was an elder at the church, uh, he was an exceptional teacher. He um, he, he just had uh, such a commitment to Jesus Christ too. So all of those. Uh, mm. But let me, if I could, I'm going to sure. continue with my spiritual journey because sure. um, I ended up, you know, I, I was very um, serious about studying the Bible. And I wasn't academic at the time. All my friends were going to college and I was just working at the surf shop. Uh, school wasn't even on my radar. Uh, really? Which is, which is funny because all my friends were in college. It, you know, mm -hmm. even at the surf shop, my friends were in college. Mm -hmm. But uh, as I got more, you know, further into just my spiritual growth, my, you know, after rededicating my life to Christ, I realized I need to be a steward of my life. Hmm. better story of my life. So I did start thinking about school. The only subject that I was interested in was the Bible. And so I went off to uh, a Bible college up in Portland, Oregon. And um, that was a mixed experience. Uh, the isolated Christian bubble that I experienced at Multnomah um, kind of, and also just um, the academic studies creating um kind of puffing me up intellectually uh hmm. uh i i i started developing just pride uh hmm. so pride had crept into my life and then a bit of cynicism uh from the christian in the christian ghetto or christian um tribe that was so isolated and uh and then also this God and his word becoming an object of study rather than just something that I was internalizing to calibrate me and my relationship with God. Go ahead. Um, let me ask you this, because I also went to a Christian school and it can be uh, become academic. You're trying to get a grade for one thing mm -hmm. and you're taking tests on the word of God. And yet um, and yet that is just a way to learn too, you know? And so how do you, how do you, um, counsel other young people in your life to have the passion of Ed Bulkley, who was in his eighties by the time I met him, I think, and he was a little intimidating to me, uh, but so in love with Jesus compared to what you felt. And it doesn't mean that the people at Multnomah school, of the Bible were not in love with Jesus, there were people there oh, totally. and, yeah, totally. and same and same at my school. And yet yeah. when I was in college, that's when I lost my faith, but it had nothing to do with the college. It had to do with what I what needed to go through, which was transferring my parents' faith into my own faith. Mm -hmm. And it yeah. took about a year and a half. And I praised God for my school and loved it so much. So, um, 
So do you think that was just part of your growing up where you had to work through the pride? Because, you know, you can get proud just having girlfriends and you have pride just, you know, I'm a teacher of the junior high group. So that's something I think that's a default for human nature and for God to show you that. Did you know that at the time you were struggling with it or is it looking back now you go, wow, I really blew those years. Um, Maybe you didn't blow those years. uh, I, I, I made some bad choices in those years. So you could classify it under the heading of blowing it. (laughs) Um, And um. Yeah, de- definitely pride um, was a part of how I derailed, but also just I I had in school, I felt like a lot of the dots um, that didn't connect were being ignored. And it felt it felt dishonest. I'm, I'm talking oh, about okay. like theological dots, philosophical mm-hmm. dots, uh, just mostly that uh um and it felt dishonest to me okay and uh so i i would do a lot of outside reading and that just confirmed my thought that you know that we were i i felt like that christian community to some extent was protecting their apologetic mm. and and not grappling and and not even yeah not grappling within themselves or even on a community level with those issues and that just um and so i i i had had periods in my past where um i struggled with doubt okay and it those um doubts and questions that I um, had reemerged, and um, and they um, garnered my attention to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And and I actually, upon graduating from Multnomah um, University, I um, I was agnostic, you know, wow. and I was agnostic for you know probably over a year. I was still I would still read Christian literature and listen to. Bible teachers, but I was, you know, starting to feed more and more on skeptical literature. And over the decades, that led to a pattern in my life where mm-hmm. I would cycle, I would, I would, you know, go into a period of skepticism and doubt. I would expose myself to um this a lot of skeptical literature. Uh, I found great satisfaction in feeling like I could be honest. Um, and yet I was cutting myself off from my creator Hmm. and I, um, I was also more vulnerable to the temptation of sin. Uh, and, um, so I would derail, okay. I would derail spiritually, but, and, but then I would feel like I can't live without God. I, I long for God. And so mm-hmm. I would return to the Lord. And then that would, you know, rem- that commitment would remain for a couple of years. And then I'd cycle, you know, those, those doubts, those questions would, you know, I had kind of stuffed them and then mm-hmm. they would reemerge and I would, mm-hmm. I would fall prey to them again. And that has sadly, that has been a cycle, a pattern 
um, that has plagued me throughout my adult life. Uh, a couple things here, Dale. Um, when you say that you grapple with questions and that they left it unanswered, one thing that helped me uh, during my uh, tough doubting period was I actually told a professor that I was doubting, and it was difficult for me to say that so much so that you know you don't want to cry when you're talking to people, especially um, a professor and a man I respected. And so I would say something like, "I have doubts," you know, because it gets caught right there. Mm -hmm. and and he just looked up in the sky and he said and by the way he's in in his 80s now and he has no recollection of telling me this but it saved my life basically he said if god is not big enough for our questions then he's not a big enough god is he sue and then he just kept walking you know we were walking together after class and i thought that is profound and that we don't have all our questions answered this side of heaven. I'm sure you have grappled with that as well. Um, yeah. But the fact is that God can handle our questions. He just doesn't choose to always answer them in our way or our timing. What has been the thing? I love what you said. I can't live without God. See, that's an honest, that's an honest statement from a skeptic that many skeptics will not admit they are longing for something, but they don't know what it is. And you having experienced this and me as well can say, by the way, there is this thing called a God-shaped vacuum and you're stuffing it with other things. Sure. And we can yeah. all do that. So what was the next step in your thing? I know you went through a huge health uh, crisis. You're still in it. Can you talk to us about that? First, can I just say that I appreciate what you said about that interaction with the professor. And I think in the Christian community, we need to do more of that. Mm -hmm. We need to be honest and and uh, be able to validate the importance of people's questions mm -hmm. uh, and um, be more transparent in the Christian community. Some, some Christian communities get this right, of course, uh, and some need to be more intentional about it. And mm -hmm. I'm big on seeing that happen. And I, um, but to well, to return to your question, um, which I've forgotten, what what was it? Well, <laughs> I I wanted to I want we only have a few more minutes, so I wanted to talk about oh. your kidney situation because oh. there are a lot of people listening who are in health crises or know if someone is, and I just wanted to know how God is working in your life as well as the whole physical thing. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so I just received a, a kidney transplant four wow. months ago. How many? Yeah. How many? Four months ago. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So uh, it was, it's a deep blessing. I mean, it is a deep blessing because the kidney that I received was from a 21-year-old young man oh. who lost his life. And um, so that's, it's so sobering to receive such a sacred gift. His life was lost and he has a family who's grieving that loss. And I was the beneficiary of the kidney that he donated. And um, so- How it, long were you on a list to receive one? I was on a list for 10 years. Oh my goodness. Yeah, which is a long time to be on a list. Yeah, I was on a list with USC and- um, for some of the, you're you're able to get on a list 
uh, I believe when you drop down to 25% kidney function, uh, which I did. And my nephrologist put me immediately on the list. At that time, I was not on dialysis. I was managing my condition with <clears throat> diet. Uh, and, and, but, and it, my condition was somewhat manageable. I, I didn't feel great because my blood was toxic, but I felt okay enough to just not be on dialysis. I was trying to avoid dialysis. Um, and then I became more symptomatic over time. I mean, eventually your your blood gets so toxic that you you feel like you have the flu all the time or mm. chronic fatigue syndrome. And, uh, and then also eventually my nephrologist just said, you can't wait any longer. You got, you got to go on dialysis. So I did. And uh, I should mention, I went on home dialysis, which is peritoneal dialysis, in, in contrast to dia dialysis at a center where you have to plug into a machine for hours, like three times a week. I chose at home dialysis, which I just want to mention to people who have to go on dialysis. It was, it was a deep blessing in my life. Also, it, it was, it was very convenient. I, after a month of being on it, I felt great hmm. and my energy returned and I would just <laughs> encourage anybody to seriously consider if they have to go on dialysis, consider peritoneal dialysis. Do people have a choice? Yeah, they have a choice. Oh, okay. And when you're, you know, when you are facing dialysis, there's lots of unanswered questions. There's great resources out there online, but there's still a lot of unanswered questions and fears. I, I had all that, you know, mm -hmm. but when I went to a seminar and they showed you your options immediately, I'm just like, okay, well, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going home dialysis and it was great. And how long I, ago, how long ago was that? And for how long? I was on dialysis for four years. Wow. And uh, I, I ended dialysis when I got my transplant. Now I want to mention this because this is wild. I'm on the list for 10 years. Okay. Yeah. And after 10 years, it doesn't even feel real. You know, like the thought of getting a transplant, it doesn't feel real. <laughs> uh, so you just think, you know, it's kind of in the periphery of your life and you, you kind of fall into this mindset that it's never going to happen. And then out of the blue on a Sunday afternoon at 2 PM, I get a call. Wow. Uh, are you in the country? I am in the country. Are you sick? No, I am not sick. We have a kidney for you. <gasps> okay. If you want to take it, you have, we need to have you here in four to six hours. And wow. right there, your circuits are blowing. You know, yes. you're like, okay, I want it. Okay. You I know? have a question. I have a question. When yeah. the phone call came, why did you even pick it up? Because normally we don't pick up when we don't know the person. Actually, name. I didn't pick up. I, <laughs> it was an unknown number. I okay. did not pick up. Yes. So, and then my home number rang. Oh, I thought, okay, well, this is obviously someone who needs to talk to me. Right. I didn't recognize the number on our home phone, but I picked it up. And that's when she said what she said. And did, you, did you say 46 hours or four to six hours? Four to six hours. Oh, but you live up here. It's four yeah. hours to LA. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. So, and my wife was at work. Okay. So I called her immediately. I said, I want the kidney. Uh, and so I, I hung up, called my wife. She rushed home. She called her employer, said, I got to get out of here. My husband has a kidney. She rushed home. We did not pack. We hopped in the car and we drove. Wow. And uh, when, okay. So, and also 
I, I'm completely, even though it felt unreal until I got the phone call, as soon as I got the phone call and we're driving south, I am completely in the moment. I am, I wasn't nervous. I was just digging it. Yeah. I, li I like things that blow your circuits. That, <laughs> you know, I like, I love just the adventure of it, you know, like, mm -hmm. so we're just driving. Okay. And we, it was a Sunday afternoon, evening. So there's, we were thankful there was no LA traffic. Okay. And then we arrive at the hospital, you arrive at the hospital and you know, they prep, they're starting to prep you immediately. You know, you get all these nurses are around you, prepping you. And, you know, a couple hours later, you're on the surgery table. Okay. And uh, wait, did you have time to call your brother or a pair uh, well, or Corey uh, Amelia? As, you know, my wife was driving to LA. And so I, I put on Facebook, USC has a kidney for me. We're driving there now, you know, and <laughs> Of course, Good old you Facebook. Know, every, it is just ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 yeah. ding. You know, everyone's just like stoked for you. Mm -hmm. They're just stoked. And then I also, you know, I sent a, a note to Jill's brother. I sent a note to Bonnie and Wayne and then all my sibs, my sisters. I have five siblings. Um, and um, <laughs> it's very exciting. Yeah. And also at the hospital, all of that is very exciting too. Uh, uh, and I was, you know, when they wheeled me into where the surgery is, I I was absorbing it all. I loved it absolutely. Like all of the surgery tools are just laid out there, just tons on the table. They brought the kidney in while I was still awake. Wow. I couldn't see the meat of the kidney, but they they have the pan and they bring it in on a table. And there's two surgeons, you know, calling out details about my kidney and I was just absorbing it all. It was great. Okay. And then eventually, you know, you're out. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> and, and even when the uh, anesthetist, the anesthetist uh, asked me to count backwards, I said, well, I'd rather not. Cause I just want to absorb all this. Yeah. So he counted for me. Oh, you know? funny. And then three seconds later, I'm out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, and then I wake up and I'm surrounded by five nurses they're, you know, uh, when I wake up, they're moving me from the the one bed to another and all five are around me. And I wake up, I'm like half drunk on anesthesia and I just start bawling, you know, Aww. and just out of joy, you know, yeah, of and they all, you know, they're just digging it. And um, one nurse just grabs my hand. Oh, just you have tears of joy. And it was awesome. You wow. know, I, I love moments of human connection like that. And mm. it was very much just a beautiful moment. So, and then, so it's, it's odd because you, you know, in a few hours time, you have a new internal organ in your gut, mm. you know? So it's, it's a lot to absorb. There's a lot more, oh, you know, I know. happen after. Well, I've been following you on, um, well, the prayer thread and then Facebook and what's been going on, and it hasn't been easy. Um, this is might be an awkward question, but were you able to uh, get in touch with the donor's family? No, they, they don't, they're very um, careful um, about revealing any information about the donor. Uh, in fact, the fact that I know that he's a 24, one-year-old man that was 
not supposed to be shared. That was, oh. that slipped and I, you know, I picked up on that, mm -hmm. but that's not supposed to be revealed. Um, so uh, I have the opportunity to write, you know, just a letter of thanks and gratitude to that family. Oh, good. They might or might not respond mm -hmm. and the ball is in their court. Sure. That's something they encourage. It's something I will do. Uh, I haven't done it up to this point just because I'm actually just there. There were lots of hiccups post-surgery that uh, I was very preoccupied with until like a week ago. Mm -hmm. you know? So there you go. Yeah. Uh, it's do you feel like God has given you a, a new lease on life and that you better make good use of it? I mean, not to put any guilt on you or anything, but it's a it's a new day for you every day, Dale. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is on you your have mind. very good skin color, by the way. And it's because oh. of your new kidney. And plus, yeah, I'm, yeah, totally. And I mean, now after, you know, there were many initially my numbers were my kidney numbers and my labs were exceptional. And all the doctors were just going, you have a great kidney and you, you know, your numbers are exceptional. But then they were my numbers. Uh, took a downward trend. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that was, you know, a challenge, a disappointment that I had to process. Eventually, um, as they were just trying to crack the code on why it was happening, they did an ultrasound, found out that urine was backing up into my kidney because I had a blockage in the ureter that came with the brand new kidney. Oh. Okay. And so they had to, I, I had two surgeries to solve that problem. And once that problem was solved, this is only a couple of weeks ago that it was solved. I can't um, believe you're talking my numbers, to me. <laughs> my numbers went up and my numbers, I mean, the doctor said, well, you have better, the creatinine is really the key level that they're looking at, which most of your audience doesn't know what it means, but it, it's just, it's how your kidney is functioning. And um, he said, you have better creatinine than me. Your creatinine wow. level is better than a lot of 20 year olds. Wow. So, that is something to celebrate and to be grateful for. And um, yes, I do feel, I do feel that, um, well, it's a fact that I will most likely live longer now mm -hmm. that I have a kidney. They mm -hmm. studies show repeatedly that you, you live longer if you get a kidney transplant over and above dialysis. I don't want to discourage any of your audience mm -hmm. who's on dialysis, but studies do show that. So, and how old how old are you, Dale? I'm 60. Okay. Wow. And yeah. I bet that uh, 10 years from now they may not have bothered with you. Or do they do it at any age? No, I think well, I don't I actually don't know the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um how has this impacted your relationship with God? Um okay. So for the for the, the first two weeks after I received my kidney, I felt like I was I was very tenderhearted and I was marinating in gratitude. And I I was just filled with gratitude to God. And just uh, I would every few seconds I would just be thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting and a little sad uh <laughs> that I think um it's it's human nature to um, 
and we have to be guarded about this to to take things for granted if yes. we're not careful. Right. We ha we have to be intentional about being grateful and and not slip into um just ingratitude and um so it's all it's almost like there's a natural atrophy that takes place if we're not careful mm -hmm. so at the two-week mark i noticed a change in my wow. disposition isn't that the weirdest that we're that way because you're not the only one it yeah. is a default with human nature that once we're so elated and then a couple weeks later we find something else to either complain about or we're just not as elated and not that we have to live on this huge emotional train yeah yeah, there's so, a time for everything, and mm -hmm. uh, and we can't be experiencing an emotional buzz perpetually. That's right. not that's not realistic, uh, and and God would never want that. Uh, but uh, you know, you have a new kidney, but you still have all the same problems and all the same character flaws. Mm -hmm. and so <laughs> you know, and so uh, those emerged for me. You know, reemerged actually at the two week mark, and mm -hmm. you know, I just. I, I I noted it and I just tried to um be careful to not slip into to that you know mindset and and to I, I really wanted to you asked me how it affected my relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. It well it, truthfully not much. I mean if I'm honest, not much. But I wanted it to. I want, you know, here I was in this life-changing I, I had received this life-changing gift and i also was isolated you know for over two months and i had a lot of solitude and reflection and i really wanted to god i i was praying that god would do a deep work deeper work of grace um in my heart what do you mean uh, what do you mean by that, that? That what do you mean? Be, that could be, you know, just a more conviction over sin and desire for holiness. It could be a revelation of his love, because I, I actually think that I um I don't have the proper appreciation for God's love. Uh it's it's uh and so I would I I hungered for a deeper revelation of his love in and I was hoping for that in that time uh you know things like that and none of that came you know i had asked friends to pray for that and i was praying for it myself and you know and i should note that a, a lot of times god doesn't meet us in an epiphany or in a cataclysmic experience and i think it's unhealthy to you know try to manufacture that i think Sometimes God does in a moment, and it's beautiful when he does, but I, God is very much, um, I think, uh, about honoring the process and just mm -hmm. over time discipling us and molding our character uh, through trials, uh, a lot of, and suffering. And that's, a, that's another thing that is an issue in my life. I think I have... Um, I, I need a, a greater theology of suffering, you know, a more accurate theology of suffering and mm. the role that it plays in my life mm. or in all our lives. So it's how our character is formed. But, uh, I would be careful how to pray for that, but uh, to pray for that, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're, you're going to learn it, but you already have, because these last four months have been 
hard. Yeah, um, they were a challenge. Yeah, they were a challenge. Mm -hmm. And as as you know, this is a legacy podcast. And and by legacy, I don't mean by, you know, what money you're going to leave Wayne and Bonnie when you die. But um, what legacy would you hope you are in the process, because we are people of process. Oh, I want to tell you about our sermon on Sunday. I'll have to send it to you. His last point was: we are constantly in the sh- in the in the process of being reshaped and reformed. And this is a pastor of let's see, he's 50, 55, can't remember. So he's still admitting, which he needs to, because the better pastor is the humble pastor, right? Totally. And uh for us to admit that we're still in process and that we're not victor, you know, like you are victorious now, and you're never gonna go back to your character flaws because God gave you a new kidney. Right. But as far as your legacy, what are you hoping that you can be known for and that you can actually give to someone right now? It's not something that we do after we die. Yeah. So I would want to be remembered for taking an interest as a, a sincere interest in people. Hmm. Uh, and I do consider that as something that, that I appreciate about myself, that hmm. I celebrate about myself, uh, and that I'm so thankful that that's a part of my disposition, that I, I just have a voracious interest in people's, in people, you know, mm-hmm. and it could be just someone I meet uh, on a street corner and we have a small chat and I just am blessed by their humanity in that brief conversation. We don't go into anything deep, but I just uh, get to appreciate his or her humanity. Or it can be, you know, just a, a conversation with someone where we reveal a, a deeper part of ourselves and it's reciprocal. And I leave that conversation feeling like I have a three beer buzz. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, what a <laughs> gift. I mean, mm-hmm. what a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, and that happens to me all the time. And I, uh, just because I'm wired for it, I'm just very wired for it. Now, if I could encourage anyone else to pursue that, I mean, there's different temperaments. True, and true. so not everyone is going to be like I just described, you know, there, uh, there are introverts who feel exhausted when they're around a lot of people, you know, but they still, they still are part of their creatureliness is that they are a social being Mm -hmm. and they, they need to connect. They have a need to connect with people. And, um, and so I, I would just encourage vulnerability Mm. Uh, that I think that intimacy comes with vulnerability and, you know, of course you need a safe environment for vulnerability. So we need to provide safe environments where they can let down their guard Mm -hmm. and be vulnerable. And we need to do that as individuals and in the Christian community, we need to be careful to do that, to be intentional about that. And we all need to be making an effort to be revealing, you know, our true self, a Mm -hmm. a bit of ourself that sometimes it feels like a risk. We need to take that risk. Well, I Uh, find that vulnerability is an invitation to intimacy uh, because the other person will say, oh, like Sue, I struggle with this. Yes. uh, Without us both 
hanging out our dirty laundry every time we get a chance. There are boundaries, of course, healthy boundaries. But what a gift you are to so many, Dale, because you're willing to celebrate every person that you meet if you have the energy for it. Um, what would you say, how do you, actually, I probably could answer it for you now that you've said it, but how would you like to answer the last question, which is how does your life embody the welcoming heart of God? Yeah, I think I just described, I mean, I think I just answered that question. I do, I do think that God can you, I, I think I mirror God's, um, love for humanity when I behave when, when I am sincerely interested in another human being. And I don't want to be, I, there's many times where I get it wrong in relationships. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know? uh, so, uh, and those times I'm not reflecting the heart of God, but when I'm getting it right, I think I'm reflecting the heart of God. Hmm. And it's a great joy to do that. Um, and I, I need to add too, that it's very much on my heart to be um, close and involved with non-Christians, Pe people that I want to be involved with, people that I I don't share their 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 worldview, they don't share mine, we don't agree politically. You know, I want to be involved with people. I don't want to be um, I just limiting myself to um, interaction with other Christians. I. I have no interest in that. You know, I don't want to do I, that. I I love that. And uh, when we were first married, I'm married to an extreme introvert. And so I remember where we were driving out on South Higuera on the way to church. And I said, um, I have a I have two lists of people that we need to have over. And one list are the non-Christians and one list are the Christians. And he said, you don't have to invite the whole world. I mean, he was totally <laughs> exasperated, the poor man. And I said, well, then we're going to invite the non-Christians because we're going to see the Christians later. I mean, yeah. if you can only handle that. Now, of course, we've had lots of Christians in our home. But uh, if we don't allow and put time into our schedule for the non-believer, I think we're missing the boat here. I mean, yeah. Christ's last words, we need to, you know, we need to kind of pay attention to people's last words. And his last words were to go and uh, go into all the world. And if we can't, if we can't handle our neighbor who's driving us crazy, you yeah. know, we we need to have some inner heart work, not just kidney work. And I think God is uh, continuing to use you, Dale. What a blessing has it has been to share with you. Is do you have any last word? Uh, well, yes. When I <laughs> I uh, thought you might <laughs> when, when I make friends with um, people who who don't share my worldview, who maybe they're they're non Christians. I am not in it with ulterior motives like right. an antibody salesman might be. They're I not a project. Them. They're not a project. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I absolutely not. I am meeting them on the level of humanity. Mm -hmm. And um I I feel comfortable being open about my commitment to Christ and and I am open to hearing their thoughts as well. And um and that's really important to me. And then lastly, I'll just say. It's a blessing to talk to you. Oh, uh, thank you. It's it's been super fun, and I just appreciate you taking an interest in my life. Oh, it'll it'll be such a blessing to everybody who listens. Thanks, Dale, for your time. You Until bet. next time, think about your legacy—the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. 
See my keynotes and retreat series as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.